Good to see you all tonight. Uh, good to be together here at Thrive. Uh, this last week on my day off, you know, it was still hot outside, and I was starting to think, yeah, it's probably going to start changing here in the near future, getting a little cooler. So I looked at my daughter, and I said, let's go to the pool. Let's take advantage of the hot weather, and let's, let's walk on down to the neighborhood pool. Maybe one more time, as, as summer is about to turn into fall. And as I was there uh, with my daughter, with her floaties on, I was watching another mom there, teaching her son some of the basics of swimming and getting him to practice uh, some of the things that he had recently learned in swim lessons. And kids in swim lessons, that's where some of you have recently been. Maybe that's where some of you are right now with your kids, or it's where you're going to be soon with your kids. And you think about what it is they learn there in their first uh, swim lessons, and, and you want to start by teaching the kid enough to survive. If the kid found itself in a pool of water, that, that could be a potentially life-threatening situation. Uh, so the most important thing is, do they know how to survive if they end up in water? But some of the things that they're going to learn that would help them survive if they got dumped into water are, are the same things that then are, are the basics upon which they can build to excel at uh, swimming. As they're learning the strokes, as they're learning how to tread water, or even as they're learning how to float, uh, these things can save their life, uh, but then the, these things will be the things that they build on uh, if they w would ever want to become an excellent or a great swimmer. As we think about what we learned this last weekend, as we looked at the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee, we see something that in the Christian life is necessary to survive. We see an attitude, a characteristic that without which you will drown spiritually. You will not survive uh, the, the Christian life without this characteristic. But this characteristic is not just necessary for survival in the Christian life. It's also necessary if you are going to grow, if you are going to excel, if you are going to mature and live out your Christian life. And that is the characteristic that we see there in the broken tax collector. This attitude of humble confession. And I would hope that all of you here tonight want to survive the Christian life. That you want to make it to the end of your life. And when you stand before the Lord, you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You will not hear, depart from me, I never knew you. I would hope everybody here wants that. But more than that, I would hope we all want to thrive. See what we did there? In your life, in, in your marriage, in your family. And what we're going to see tonight and what we saw this weekend was something, yes, necessary to survive, but also necessary to excel and to thrive in the Christian life. And that's this attitude of humble confession. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Luke 18. And let's look again at the passage uh, that Pastor Mike preached on oh, a fairly well-known well parable, uh, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And, and let me read this for us. Luke 18, starting in verse 9. It says, He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, God, 
I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And he goes on congratulating himself, basically. But then verse 13, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And Pastor Mike drew out these three points for us. We can go to the first slide uh, this weekend. And the first was that of no lateral comparisons. You know, we got some different points we'll be doing, but these were the points from Pastor Mike. No lateral comparisons. We want to compare ourselves to other people. Well, we are all sinners. And if you think, oh, I'm a better sinner or I'm a, not as bad of a sinner as, as they are, still the same category. Because point number two, we need to all get honest about following short. And third, we need to be amazed at our justification. And tonight, what we want to do, uh, which is, this is what we'll really do most weeks in, in Thrive, is we, we want to follow up from that weekend sermon, which intentionally, no, we're not trying to just recap uh, what we heard on the weekend. We're, we're really trying to follow it up, advance the conversation in a couple ways. One, we can advance it by digging a little deeper, maybe by exploring a, a passage. You know, Pastor Mikey always says, hey, well, if we had time, we would look at this passage. Well, we're going to go take the time and dig in a little deeper to some of those places. But then the other thing we want to do, not just dig in deeper, but really bring it home and, and really talk more about, okay, what difference what we hear, what difference will it make in our lives? And that's what we want to do tonight. And we're going to really see both of those things, especially in verse 9 of Luke 18, as we want to dig in deeper, but then also bring it home and apply it. Luke gives us a big clue as to why Jesus is telling this parable. He says he's telling it to some people who, two things, one, trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And two, they treated others with contempt. We want to explore those as we dig in and as we bring it home. And the first phrase there, trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Uh, that was a mistake. Them trusting in themselves, thinking that they were righteous, that is what we like to call self-deception. And, and that's what Pastor Mike is getting at. He says, get honest about follow, falling short. Nobody is righteous. Instead, the goal is this idea, this attitude of humble confession that we see in the tax collection. So our first point for tonight is we dig in a little deeper is grasp the depth of sin's problem. Grasp the depth of sin's problem. The Pharisee doesn't get it. The tax collector does. And, and to help us get it and to help us grasp the, 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 the depth of it, we want to take Pastor Mike up on a passage that uh, he challenged us to look at, at least in, in the nine o'clock service. He said, oh, we don't have time, but you need to this week, go look at Romans chapter three, which hopefully if you did the homework, if you did the questions on the back of the worksheet, you looked some at Romans chapter three, but we're gonna even do better than that. We're gonna look at Romans chapter one through chapter three. So if you have your Bibles, turn in them to Romans chapter one. Because what we see, there's a really climactic moment there in chapter 3. And I want us to see the full setup before Paul really goes in for the knockout punch. We want to look at that together. And as you're turning, just kind of a 
survey for my own benefit. How many of you tonight have an actual hard copy physical Bible that, that you're turning? And ra- raise your hands. How many of you, when I say turn to a passage, you're, you're going there on, on a device of some kind? All right. So more than that. Interesting. Good, good to know. That was, that was for free. That, no, no points being made there. Just honest curiosity. But if you're there in Romans chapter 1, go to verse 16. See, now I know you can't just all just look at it. Some of you have to scroll there, so I'm giving you some time. Verse 16. And and let's look at this section that really starts to launch into the main theme of the book of Romans. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, some of those maybe are well-known verses. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The righteous shall live by faith. And really, that's setting up uh, the, the main theme there in the book of Romans, this idea of justification by faith alone. He, he's starting to launch in on that. But as he says, hey, I want to talk about this righteousness that comes from God by faith, he realizes, okay, I need to give you some background information. I need to help you understand why that's a big deal. So let's get to verse 18. Why do we need the righteousness of God to be revealed? Because for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We need righteousness by faith because God's wrath is being revealed against all kinds of unrighteousness. Now, why is there this unrighteousness? Well, first, it starts talking about even though God is obviously showing his power and showing his character, people have rejected God as the creator, and instead they're worshiping the creature. Uh, That is what they are doing, and and that's gross sin. Rejecting God to worship him as the creator and trading that to worship the creature, that's idolatry. But more than that, starting in verse 24, they've God gave them up into the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies. That they've given up on sexual morality, getting into all kinds of sexual immorality, even uh, perverting into, talks about homosexuality here. That's what society is doing. And beyond that, they're giving themselves up to all kinds of evil. In verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteousness decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Saying they've rejected the creator, they've rejected sexual morality of any kind, and they've just dove into all kinds of sin and wickedness. This long list that they just read through. Now we're sitting here in church. And so we've got some kind of sampling here of people in society that would probably, people would point and say, well, we're the religious ones in here. And it's easy to look out there in the world and see rejected God as creator, yup. Rejected sexual morality, yup. All this other sin, yup. Yeah, it's easy to see that out there. And Paul, he's writing also to religious 
people in this letter. And he's probably getting the same response. People looking out there and saying, you're right, Paul, preach, testify now. Talk about all those things that are messed up in the world. And that's where Paul kind of says, not so fast. And look at where he goes in chapter two. Chapter one, he speaks strongly about all the wickedness that's going on out in the pagan world. But chapter two, he starts pointing the finger at the religious of society. Look at verse one. Hey, the world is so messed up. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. He's saying, oh, you want to condemn the world? Really? You're not caught up in any of this? You want to say, man, the world, they've, they've rejected God as creator and they're focusing on the, the creature and other things. Really? You've never got caught up in materialism? You've never started to live like maybe this life really is? All that there is, you've never really started to care about other things more than you've cared about God? Oh, the world, they've, it's just so sexually perverted and all this. Really, you've never given into that temptation? Oh, you, even in our society, you look at, oh, the passing of a guy like Hugh Hefner and say, oh, that's so messed up. And he did so much that was sexually perverted where really none of you, none of us have been tempted by sexual immorality. Everyone here, I've, I've never ever looked at anything impure in my life. Really, that's what all the religious people would be prepared to say. Or whether it, not, it might not be as open, it might not be as public. There's a lot of ways that the Christians or the religious people, they're still tempted and they're still giving into the same sins that they would condemn the world for, even just the world does it in a more open and brazen fashion. And that's where Pastor Mike can point number one and say, no lateral comparisons. You might look out at the world and say, man, look at all that stuff they're doing. Look in the mirror. There's not envy in your own heart. There's not jealousy or anger in your own heart. There's not lust in, in your own heart, really. Those are things that you've never given into or acted out on. And basically, the, the problem with a lot of it is, Hypocrisy. People singing, I'm so much better when really that's self-deception. Just like the Pharisee, you think I'm righteous when the truth is you are not. And if we get all the way down to verse 17 in chapter two, again, he goes on with the same idea. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent, because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, saying, you know so much. Verse 21, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? While you say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? He's pointing out there, hypocrisy. And he even gets down to saying, you know, it's actually even worse when the religious people are doing these things. Because look at verse 24, for as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. When the world is out there living it up, doing its thing, people saying, well, that's the world. But when people that would identify themselves with God are out there doing the wrong thing, people look at that and say that that brings shame on God. What a terrible thing. 
And he goes on to talk about, they think that what they know is somehow makes them better. That, that somehow scores them spiritual points and gets them favor with God because they know the law. Or certain external ceremonial things that they would do. Somehow that gets them in with God. Getting circumcised, or things like that. Somehow that makes them okay with God, even though they're hypocrites. Even though they're giving into the same things that the world has done. And those ideas carry right over into the year 2017. That you could look at chapter one and say, man, the world out there is so messed up. But there are also so many people that think, well, because I know certain things, because I know the Bible, or because I do certain external things, like I go to church and, and I give and I, I do some of these nice things, that somehow makes me better. And Jesus is saying, no. And Paul right here is saying, no. And that gets us to the punchline there in chapter 3, verse 9. Or what begins kind of the crescendo, the, the climax of this part of the book. What then? Are Jews any better off? No, not at all. Whether the religious or the pagans, for we have agreed that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. And he goes on to read the verses that hopefully you read as you did the homework. None is righteous, no not one. Let's jump ahead to verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. That is the goal of what Paul is getting to. And that's where it really connects to our parable back in Luke. One guy, he talked a lot about how great he was. The other guy, his mouth was stopped. All he could do was cry out for mercy. And that's where Romans is trying to get us. So that every mouth would be stopped. And whether you're out there living this pagan, crazy lifestyle, or whether you're hiding under the guise of, of religion or church, but really you're doing the same things that we would all be stopped to where we can all say is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's where God wants to take us. That's where God needs to get us. And that's where it gets to probably the famous verse that you've heard there in Romans chapter three, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. One of your kids is in cubbies. That was the first verse they learned this year. All have sinned. And that includes you. And that includes me. And that should lead all of us to say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And again, even Pastor Mike emphasizing that Greek word, not just, hey, God, be nice to me, please. No, God, Remove the sentence that I deserve. That's where we all need to be. Ha have you had that realization? Have you gotten to the point in life where you realize the only hope I have is for the mercy of God? That judgment is coming. I deserve it. And the only prayer I have is that God would somehow be merciful to me. That he would take me out when there's no way on my own that I could get out. And I'm here at a church where there's going to be some of the people like the Pharisee, that you're resting on your knowledge, thinking, well, I know the Bible. You're resting on your experience. Well, I've always gone to church, or I've always just been a good 
person and resting on the things that you have done. None of that is going to stand up for you on that day when you stand before Christ and all your sin is laid bare before him. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. But in Luke 18, we read, which one went to his house justified? The one who cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, if you've been around church for a while, even a message like this, you're going to say, yeah, I, I get that. And, and I, I see clearly, I have to be, I need a savior. And, and it's not through works that I have done. And so there might be ways as you think about this, it might be tempting to, to yawn through kind of this concept. And if you're yawning out there, well, most of you have young kids, so I don't blame you for that. But if we're kind of yawning on the inside as we think, yeah, 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 God be merciful to me, a sinner. We're starting to reveal that we've forgotten or, or we don't get how much we've been forgiven. Back in World War II, one of the most courageous stands made by American soldiers was at a town in Belgium called Bastogne, where the, the Germans had launched a huge counteroffensive, uh, no more broadly as the Battle of the Bulge, and a group of American soldiers were ended up uh, just totally surrounded in this town. And they were surrounded, but they were holding on uh, against great odds. And as they were surrounded, the only way they had to get supplies was dropped through the air. But for several days, it was so foggy that there was no way really for those supplies to come in. So they were there, they had very little supplies, but they held on. And they kept on fighting and held on long enough until General Patton could break through and really rescue them and rescue the town. But that whole idea of being rescued, the soldiers that were fighting there, they always got a little annoyed at that. Their response was rescued. We didn't need to be rescued. We were doing just fine. Now, when you think about it from a you know, patriotic and military standpoint, it's like, yeah, that's what I would want American soldiers to be thinking. That's awesome. That's, that's macho. That's a terrible attitude to have about your spiritual rescue. That's how a lot of people can live, thinking, I, yeah, I was doing okay. Yeah, I needed a little help, but no, you needed to be rescued. You, you were lost. You were trapped. You were surrounded. And there was no way that you were going to get out of it. And that attitude isn't just supposed to be something that we start the Christian life with. It's supposed to be something that we carry all the way through. It's not just something that will help you survive as a Christian. It's something that will then help you grow and excel as a Christian. We want to continue that attitude. So we, we dug a little deeper into what Pastor Mike talked about, the depth of the problem. Now let's flesh that out a little bit. Let's talk about the implications. And that's point number two. Live the implications of God's solution. Live the implications of God's solu solution. And, and even in, in Romans 3 where we've been, Verse 27 then says, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. If we really believe that we have sinned and fallen short and our only hope is God's grace and mercy, then boasting should be out the window. Uh, humility should be here. But even humility, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, a couple more implications. Remember, we talked at the beginning, Luke 18, it talked about Jesus is telling this parable to those who, number one, they trusted in themselves that they were righteous, but then number two, they treated others with contempt. If we have this attitude of 
humble confession, one of the implications of that is going to be we, we don't treat others with contempt like the Pharisee did. Well, what does that look like? What's the opposite of contempt? It's ideas like love, sympathy, respect, friendliness, or maybe to sum it up in one word, kindness. Showing kindness towards others, that's one of the basic implications that we should have if we've had that experience, like the tax collector. If we've realized, I need a savior. We should express that to others. And I don't think we really need to talk about this because I think kindness, sympathy, respect, those seem to be values that are just kind of on the uptick in our society, right? It seems like people are treating each other with a lot more civility and gentleness these days. Doesn't it seem like that way to you? I mean, especially to think about political situations in our country. I mean, it just seems like people are just at an all-time high in respect and civility, right? Uh, no, not so much. Maybe as Christians, we should be striking a different tone. While there are certainly are things that we need to speak out on, and there certainly are things we should have strong opinions on and might have strong opinions, some that the Bible speak clearly on, some maybe that it doesn't. Maybe there should be a certain tone we go about doing that with. Maybe there should be a little less holier than now in our attitudes and in our words and a little more there but here but for the grace of God, go I. As we think about Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. When you look out and you turn on the news and you think, man, this world is a messed up place. One of the emotions you should experience there is compassion on these lost people all around us. Think about Jesus. He didn't need a savior. He was the savior. He could have rightly called down fire on the spot and consumed these sinful people around him, but he had compassion on them. If he the holy, spotless lamb of God had compassion on them. How much more should you and I, who have needed to be cleansed by the blood of that lamb, show compassion to the people around us in our society? Remember that you represent Jesus to the world. Even you represent this church. When people think, hey, Compass Bible Church, they're probably gonna think bumper stickers. They're gonna think fall fest. And then they're gonna think people. They're going to think, oh, I know this person. And they go to that church. What impression are they going to get from you? One of kindness, love, respect towards them? And certainly this can be a little tricky in our society where some people equate conviction with contempt, where if you stand for anything, they're going to be offended by that these days. And there's nothing you can do about that. But ultimately, we're not going to have to answer to the world. We're going to have to answer to God. And are you going to be able to stand before God someday and say, my attitude towards others, the kindness and the compassion I had for them was a proper reflection of what you would want me to show. But let's bring it in a little bit closer, even from just thinking about our society, our community. Let's bring it right into your home, your marriage. Is kindness something that dominates your marriage? Or is it easy for you to treat your spouse with contempt? Even as we think about marriage, it, isn't it so easy how we can start to sound like that Pharisee? Dear God, thanks that I'm not like all those lame husbands out there that I see on TV or that one guy that's always struggling in accountability and thrive. Thanks that I'm doing better than them. Oh, and God, could you help my spouse right now? Because they're struggling. I mean, I am crushing it, but they could use a little help right now. Now, hopefully we don't ever get that blatant, but 
Do you ever get that sense in your prayers where you start to, as you're thinking about, hey, God, I'm doing the right thing, but I don't know about my spouse. I don't know about other people. Where in our own prayers, we need to remember, hey, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And even now, as I'm moving forward in my marriage, hopefully I've grown. I'm not the tax collector that I used to be, but God, I still have this attitude of humble confession as I move forward in life. And I want to live out verses like Ephesians 4.29, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. God, I want to live that out to my society, to my community, and in my home. I want to show others the kindness and the forgiveness that you have shown to me. We want to have this attitude of humble confession, which even if you think about the gospel of Matthew, and the section there called the Beatitudes, at the start of the Sermon on the Mount, the very first one, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But poor in spirit, what does that mean? Like the classic example, the best example I could think of, well, what does it look like to be poor in spirit? It's that tax collector. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Somebody that realizes I've got nothing if I don't have Christ. If I don't have his forgiveness, if I don't have his power at work in me, I've got nothing. But notice, what does he say that the poor in spirit are? They are blessed. Or if you did the questions on the back of the worksheet, what does it say in Psalm 32 verse 1? How blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. One implication of God's solution of forgiveness for us sinful people is kindness. Another one is true joy and happiness in life. I mean, we don't really get the end of the story. It's just a parable there of the the tax collector. But imagine the tax collector leaving the temple and running into Jesus. And and this man who had this sense of the weight of his sin, what if he had an encounter with Jesus where Jesus says, you know what? God's heard your prayer. I'm the Messiah. All those sins are forgiven. Wow, what would the tax collector have thought then? Can you imagine the relief? Can you imagine the weight lifted off of his soldiers? The idea that, whoa, this is almost too good to be true. How could God be so merciful to a sinner like me? Do you see if you had that perspective, how that might change your outlook a lot on life? And certainly, life is not easy. We have emotional struggles, relational struggles, financial struggles, physical struggles. There's a lot of hard things in life. And marriage is certainly an amazing gift of God, but that's not always easy. And parenting, well, it's never easy. And we're in the middle of all of these things. But in the midst even of the chaos of life, there should be a baseline of joy that nobody can take away from us. Because we realize, man, I am a sinner who needs to be saved, but you know what? God's done it. And now nobody can take that away from me. Our sins have been forgiven. We've been justified. And lots of times the reason we're lacking joy in our lives is because we're starting to forget that perspective. We're starting to forget this attitude of humble confession that I am a sinner. My only hope is Jesus Christ and he's come through and he died on the cross for my sins and he rose again so that I could have new and eternal life. If I remember that, that's going to have a direct impact on my joy. Now, one exciting thing about this last weekend as we think about Pastor Mike's sermon and also just baptisms, seeing people getting up there, giving their testimonies. We had a lot of people at church 
uh, this weekend. The most people we've had here on a weekend in a long time. And, and it's easy to look at that and be like, that's awesome. Well, what a great weekend for, you know, people that aren't normally at our church to be here, to, to see all these baptisms and, and to hear this message. Man, how great for them. They need to hear this. And that's really true. But you know what's also true? We need to hear this. We need to remember this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. We need to remember that our only hope is a savior. We need to understand the depth of our sin and then live out the implications of what it means that we have been justified and forgiven. We want to talk more about those implications even as we break into our small groups. Let me pray before we break up tonight. God, we praise you that there is forgiveness, there is grace in Jesus Christ. That God, our problem, that there's, there's nothing on our end that could possibly solve it. There's no good that we could uh, do to overcome our sin, God. We were helpless, we were lost, but you came through. Uh, God, may we always be amazed at what you've done for us. God, be, may we truly be amazed at justification. God, the, the fact that you could wipe out all of our sins, that that's even possible, and that you've done that at great expense to yourself, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us. God, may that always be near to our thoughts, near to our hearts, God, and may that really transform the way we live. May, we, may it fill our lives with humility and kindness and joy, we pray. And bless our conversations now as we talk more about this in our small groups. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's divide.